Well, good morning, everybody. I, uh, I hope that you all had a very Merry Christmas uh, celebrating with your families and what will probably look different from years past, I'm sure, uh, as everything has this year. But, but like everything has this year, I found that Christmas kind of snuck up on me. Even though we, were, we celebrated last week uh, with our Christmas services last Sunday, it really never felt like Christmas. And in fact, Melanie and I, we were, <laughs> we were doing our normal you know, Chris, Christmas Eve routines, which are watching plenty of church services on, on the TV. And the whole time I was just sitting here feeling, you know, the Christmas tree was up and we were doing our normal thing, but it just felt um, so different, like everything else has in this year um, of 2020. But that, that's why I'm excited to be preaching from the passage that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning, because in the midst, or at the end of this crazy year of 2020, with everything that has been going on over the last 360 some odd days, the passage that we're going to look at this morning from Luke reminds us of what Christmas has brought us. Now, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 22. And while you're turning there, I do want to do something a little different for us. Um, now, y'all don't get scared here. I know that lighting candles two, two Sundays in a row is going to start up a little bit of a fuss. But y'all hang on with me. That's going to be my timer. When that's out, I'm going to quit preaching. I'm just kidding. Those things burn for like three hours. <laughs> so we're going to be out here at 1120. <laughs> no, a, a candle traditionally can represent um, many things in the Christian tradition. A white candle like, like this one is can represent the presence of Christ or can represent um, the Holy Spirit. Um, sometimes candles can represent um, our prayers. But during Christmas, the white candle serves as a reminder of us, of, to us, of the light of Christ that is now present and among us. And as we talked about last week, what this candle represents is a thrill of hope, a light that gives way for a weary world to rejoice. I want to continue, I want that, this candle, this light, to continue to be our reminder this morning as we continue to celebrate Christmas today and as we head into the new year of 2021. So as you look at this candle throughout the service, and don't let it distract you, I know there's a lot of pyromaniacs in here. Uh, okay, I wasn't going to tell this story, but I'm going to anyways. Last Sunday, as we were lighting the candles and passing them around, you know, it gets ready to blow them out, and we're singing joy to the world, and, you know, it's a, it's a great moment. And I look down, and over here on the front row, Al Motes has his candle upside down, pouring the wax in the middle of his hand. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> what are you doing, Al? And then his son Hunter started doing it as well. So, <laughs> but it was just a funny moment. But So I know that some of y'all in here are pyromaniacs, so don't let this little candle uh, distract you this morning. But let it remind us this morning that in the midst of the darkness that was 2020, the light of Christ is now present with us. Amen? Now, if, if you've grown up in the church or if you are familiar with church tradition, you know that the time leading up to Christmas, those four weeks leading up, is known um, as Advent. And as I'm sure that you've heard me say before, that time of Advent is a time of waiting for the church. 
The time of Advent symbolizes uh, the darkness that's present in the world before the light of Christ comes into the world. During Advent, we as the church, we waited for the great and the glorious presence of Christ that comes here on earth at Christmas. And with that waiting that we have just come out of, with that waiting in mind, knowing that now, on December 27th after Christmas, Christ is present with us, let's go to our passage of Scripture, Luke 2. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 40. It says this, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now this is verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When he saw the parents, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised... You may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes, Simon says, have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people of Israel. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, too. Verse 36, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Let's pray. God, as we come before you this morning examining this this moment at the very beginning of Christ's life, God, when these two prophets, Simon and Anna, first lay eyes on the child, God, this morning we pray that we may be like them. That God, in our waiting, we may recognize the light of Christ here on earth. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Now, not only is this passage lengthy, I'm sure you noticed it's 18 verses and takes a little while to get through, but in the scope of just this one one story, this one passage of Scripture out of Luke chapter 2, there is so much going on. 
the author crams into these 18 verses uh, what could really easily be seen as a summation of the outlook that the book of Luke takes to the story of Christ, to the gospel um, story. This is actually the first time here in in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40, uh, the first time of many that the author of Luke and Acts refers to Christ as bringing salvation to the Gentiles as well as to Israel. And and that's a big deal. That's a big deal because it's going to continue to be a big deal all throughout Luke, all throughout Acts, and then into the writings of Paul. But also to fully understand this passage that that we've read this morning, To fully understand it, it's important to know and to read and to understand the chapter that comes before it, chapter 1. Because even when reading this text uh, from the scope of the entirety of chapter 2, the 22 verses that come before this, it can kind of make you scratch your head. When I was preparing this sermon, when I first read uh, this passage of Scripture, um, I had to stop when Simon starts speaking the second time. Because in the context of chapter 2, what he says kind of seems out of of place. Because those first 22 verses are the birth of Jesus. The angels we have heard on high, silent night, thrill of hope, weary world uh, rejoices. And then Simon here, after he gets done rejoicing, he opens his mouth again and he introduces what can seem like doom and gloom when he says that Christ will bring an uprising. In Israel. Many will rise and fall, the passage says. He even goes so far to say to Mary that he would pierce her own soul as well, meaning that the Christ's presence would even at times bring Mary great sorrow. So, Simon, in, in the context of only chapter 2, there when he takes his little aside to Mary, kind of sounds like, like a jerk. <laughs> and honestly, when you're reading it, you kind of want to skip over that part and, and, and wish that he'd just stop talking altogether after he gets done um, in verse 32. But in the context of the whole book of Luke and in the context of, of chapter 1, what, what Simon says here doesn't come as much of a surprise to us. In fact, if you go to the first chapter, and if you read what's called the, the hymn or the song of Mary, we see that she sings a song there in chapter 1 of rebellion against the norms of society. The song of Mary there in chapter 1 is a recognition that God has already and that he will continue to overthrow those in power in favor of those who are hungry and in favor of those who are weak. And in fact, if you go and you read the song of Mary there in chapter 1, where she recognizes all that God has already done and, and what will be done through her son, you will see very easily that the answer to the question in the song, uh, Mary, did you know, which Mark Lowry did such a good job on, is yes, she did. Mary did know. This same rebellion that Mary sings in chapter 1 is echoed here by Simon, and so it doesn't catch us off guard. But beyond continuing to to set up the perspective that the author of Luke is going to take to the life of Jesus, and beyond beyond continuing that song of Mary from from chapter 1, we come to this passage today on December 27th, 2020, two days after Christmas, because the author here reminds us of what we have come through as the people of God through the Advent season. As we've come out of the year of 2020, as we enter into 2021, 
Christmas reminds us that hope is already here. Amen? But hang on, hang in here with me for just, just a second. Hope may be here, and this passage of Scripture shows us that hope is here, but my friends, that hope, that salvation, is still a baby. And maybe that hope comes in a different package than we all had expected it to come as. Now, I don't mean that it's not hope. That doesn't mean that we can't be uplifted. But as we dive into this passage today, I want us to really look at it for what it really is. Not only a message of hope, not only a message um, of salvation, but also a warning of what is coming with it. The first thing that I think we need to examine and stands out starkly to me as I read this passage is that patient waiting of Simon and Anna. The life of both Simon and Anna in their patient waiting are representative to us of all that we bring us with us as we come into the Christmas season. And while we don't have an exact age for the, the man Simon, it's hinted in this passage that he is older. It says that he has waited a long time, that he has waited his entire life. And it's clear there in, in verse 26 that he had known or he had been promised through the Holy Spirit that he would see with his own eyes the salvation of Israel. But it took his entire life for such a promise to be fulfilled. Anna, similarly, waited. And we know the exact number, 84 years for this fulfillment, for this child who would bring salvation. And while we don't know the exact nature of the life that Simon lived, it doesn't go into his life very much, we do know that Anna, the 84-year-old prophet, had lived a hard life. A life that was marked with sorrow. Verse 36 there tells us that after being married at what was probably the age of around 14 at that time, after seven years, Anna was widowed. And through the difficult life of a widow at around the age of 20, over 2,000 years ago, she remained in patient waiting. Yet not only were Simon and Anna patient in, the wait, in their waiting, but the passage is clear here that they were patient and they were also righteous. Verse 25 tells us that Simon was righteous and devout. And as he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the Holy Spirit um, was upon him. The passage says something similar of Anna there in verse 37, that in her many years of being a widow, she never left the temple, verse 37 says, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Simon and Anna show us that the patient, these two patient, righteous lives tell us that for any who journey with Jesus over the long haul, persistence and long-suffering is demanded. Over the course of their long lives, Simon and Anna both were surely faced with situations that would have challenged both their patience and their righteousness. And we see that in our own lives as well. We can hunger for entertainment, for success. We can hunger for distractions. 
for immediate gratification. We can hunger for things that won't satisfy and, and will leave us ultimately empty within. But in our desire for possessions, in our, in our desire for things, in our desire for gratifying relationships, we run towards any manger. We run to, to any manger that can offer this shallow, uh, this shallow gratification, this shallow satisfaction. And in that desire, we run toward every manger except for the manger of Bethlehem. But in the life of both Simon and Anna, they can teach us today that in patience and in righteousness we can ultimately find the true fulfillment that we are searching for. Only in the manger of Bethlehem do we find the hope in the salvation that we crave. Now I believe that the second thing that we can glean from this passage is what's found in that manger of Bethlehem. In that manger of Bethlehem, the one that holds um, a thrill of hope, the manger that holds what will cause a weary world to rejoice is not a man. It's not a king that's come ready to rule over the world. It isn't this ready-made key that, that's ready to free the people of Israel and bring salvation in that instant. But instead, it's only a baby. A crying, screaming, poopy diaper-filled baby. I don't know if I can say poopy from the pulpit, but it's not like we're live streaming it around the world, so it's fine. <laughs> we are. <laughs> and yet, Simon and Anna, in, in, the midst of this, in the midst of looking at this baby and the glimpse of only a child, recognized in this child, in this baby, that God's promise had been kept in spite of it being so far from actual fulfillment. And what's remarkable here is as they looked upon this child in their old age, they had to have known that while looking into the eyes of Christ, they would be long gone before that salvation would be fulfilled. They would not live to see Jesus gather his disciples. They would not live to, to see Jesus perform miraculous acts. To, to lead a, a social upheaval at the Sermon um, on the Mount. They would not live to see as Christ was put to death on a cross, as he was resurrected after. They would not live to see the fulfillment of that salvation of all people. But yet, at the smallest glimpse of God's salvation, of what was coming in its very most beginning stages... Simon and Anna give thanks and rejoice. Friends, they rejoiced, not because they had already seen the kingdom of God fulfilled, but they rejoiced only because they had just seen the hope of that kingdom was here. Can we rejoice this morning because that hope for the kingdom is here? We recognize here every Sunday that while Christ did usher in the kingdom of God as promised, the kingdom is not yet fulfilled. And we live now, even 2,000 years after this story takes place, we live in this tension between a kingdom that has come 
but still is coming. Christ ushered in his kingdom and his salvation for the world, but promises that it will one day be fulfilled, which means, as we know and as we talk about so much here on every Sunday morning and in everything we do, involves us, and there's so much work to do. And as Simon and Anna recognized, even if we, even if we never see the fulfillment of that kingdom with our very own eyes, we can still rejoice in the fact that the hope of that fulfilled kingdom is here with us now through Christ. Amen? And I wish that I could stand up here today and tell you that it would be easy. That that waiting, that time between the kingdom that has come and still waiting for it to be fulfilled is an easy time of waiting. But as, as we see in Simon's aside to Mary there in verse 34 and 35 when he says this, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a, source will, a sword will pierce your own soul too. As we see there, this hope comes with a warning. A warning that such a hope will challenge the way that we are used to doing things. It will cause the falling of social norms. It will cause uh, the rising of those who are last and the falling of those who are first. Such a hope in the form of this baby Christ will bring with it at times sorrow even to those who are faithful. And as we look today at the world that we live in, as the church, as we watch as the rich become richer and the poor become poorer, as the world forgets how to love their neighbor, as the refugee running away from violence is turned away, as the world falls further into selfishness and greed, we are reminded through these words of Simon that if we are to have a hope, it's that these things will be uprooted, that these things will be up, turned upside down. And in the face of a child, we see just the very sprout of what will one day become a glorious tree of salvation. Just the sprout of what will one day come a glorious salvation. And now we come back to our candle. And I hope it's still lit. It is. It's not a big candle. In fact, it's one of the smallest, cheapest candles money can buy. Because <laughs> I was buying it. <laughs> it doesn't give off a lot of light. But if I were to turn off the lights, even though this tiny light would be surrounded by darkness, that it would still have to overcome this tiny candle, the light of Christ, could just by its presence in the darkness give a hope of what could be fulfilled. Now, I'm certain that most of you have heard me speak about what I'm going to read next before. I'm certain I've used this quote in a sermon, and certainly if you ever took the class that Melanie and I were offering um, before COVID, uh, you heard me repeat these words. But in reading this passage about the reaction of Simon and Anna to the mere presence of hope, uh, it reminded me of the famous last words of John Wesley. 
And these are the words of, of Betsy Ritchie, who was the nurse and housekeeper of John Wesley as, as he was dying. And she says this. Some of those who were most used to hearing our dear father's dying vo voice would be able to interpret his meaning. But though he, he strove to speak, we were still unsuccessful. Finding we could not understand what he said, he paused a little, and with all the remaining strength he had, cried out, The best of all is God is with us. And then, as if to assert the faithfulness of our promise-keeping Jehovah and comfort the hearts of his weeping friends, lifting up his dying arm in token of victory and raising his feeble voice with a holy triumph to be expressed, again repeated the heart-reviving words. The best of all is, God is with us. The best of all is, God is with us. My friends, in the chaos of the darkness, Christmas reminds us that after our patient waiting, God is with us. Now, I know that I always try to, to leave uh, leave you with a question to reflect on or a specific charge to take with you into the week. But after a year that has been so very dark, I felt a burden to, to leave this year behind with the reminder that in the face of only a child, as we talked about last week, a weary world rejoices. In the small candle in the small light of Christ that is still to grow, we find hope. And we rejoice not because this child, this Christ, that this, this light was the end of work that was to be done, that it was the complete fulfillment of the work that was to be done, but instead we rejoice because he was the beginning. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, this morning we rejoice as we look at this light, as we reflect on this Christmas season, God, that you are here, you are present with us. God, as we gaze into the eyes of a baby, we recognize that while you are here, God, there's still work left to be done. God, we recognize that while your kingdom is here, we still have a role to fulfill in bringing your kingdom to earth. God, may we be like Simon and Anna, amazed, amazed at seeing only the beginning of our salvation, God. We ask these things in your name. Amen. And before we, we leave, I want to leave us with this benediction. Loving God, like Simon says, now your servants may go in peace, just as your word is promised. For our own eyes have seen your salvation in the face of only a child, made ready with everyone looking on, a revealing light, for outsiders, and a glory for all your faithful people. May your grace, your mercy, and your peace from the Creator 
Savior and Counselor, be with us now and forevermore. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.